The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Practicing the Way of Jesus, a study on the Sermon on the Mount. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 7, 12 through 14. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Um, as Ben said, my name is Steve Ott. I am the guy that uh, does talk too loud sometimes with the liturgy, especially in the 1030 service, so I'm excited to be here with you all uh, to preach. Today, we're actually going to be focusing uh, exclusively on that first verse of the reading, and next week, Um, We're going to talk about the last two verses there. So we'll be focusing on what we call the golden rule. Now, fun story. Legend has it that the golden rule uh, actually became known as such around AD 222, right? And the Roman emperor Alexander Severus loved this verse so much and loved the idea behind it uh, that it became his motto. He said, guys, guys, you got to hear this verse. Everyone come on in here. He said, this rule, this, this whole thing, this, this verse seems like a rule. It's so important. It needs to be mounted on the walls and mounted on the walls in gold. And so that's why it's the golden rule. Because he put it on the, the wall in gold. That's it. Nothing like super special about that other than he liked gold. Now the golden rule is used everywhere. Right? It's in... Uh, Church or not, you see it in preschools, right? You see it uh, across other religions. You see it in workplaces. You see it on bumper stickers. The golden rule is known by the most devoted Christian and the most strident atheist alike. And it makes sense from a strictly human perspective, a human ethics perspective. uh, It's a strong concept, right? And even non-religious people love it. Uh, The uh, current humanist chaplain for Harvard University which, by the way, I, didn't, I had to look up what humanism was. And humanism is a secular, non-religion religion that basically has the core tenet of people are great. <laughs> That's it. People are great. Uh, so the people are great religion says, golden rule is a concept that no religion really misses, but doesn't necessarily need a belief in God to endorse it. And so it goes. The golden rule is just now a nice phrase, not a command from Jesus. Or maybe you felt like the golden rule feels a bit cliched or overexposed. Maybe you hear that read there and it almost induces a groan, right? (laughs) It's no reason that this happens because we've stripped the gospel power from it, divorcing it from its original intent and purpose. Right, as we start to land the plane on the Sermon on the Mount, because we're getting close to that, um, we are arriving at Jesus' concluding thoughts. And starting with this verse, he's moving away from explaining towards summing up the whole sermon. Right, so that in case you've missed everything else thus far, Jesus is ready to put a fine point and a bow on it right here. That if you truly want to practice the way of Jesus, as we discussed, you can start and end here. So our task today is to recapture the golden rule from pop culture, from the preschool classrooms, from the people are great religions, right? And reseat it in its proper place 
as the cornerstone of the Sermon on the Mount and of true discipleship. So let's pray to start and we'll dive into this. God, we thank you so much for this day. And even though it is cold outside, it is warm in here. Lord, I pray that we that are here can simply be here now. That we can take a deep breath and, and settle in and open our hearts and open our minds to you this morning. Lord, that we wouldn't come in with, with guarded hearts and, um, and we wouldn't come in trying to hide from you, Lord. We were revealing ourselves fully to you, Lord. Lord, as we hear your word preached, may it pierce our souls. May it change us this morning, Lord. I pray that we wouldn't come and, and try to stuff away our, our baggage, but Lord, we would lay it at your feet. We would surrender it to you this morning. So Lord, speak through me now. Open our hearts, our minds, our ears. We could hear you. And Lord, may you be glorified uh, through all that we do here this morning. We ask you in your holy and precious name. Amen. Now, before we dive into the nuts and bolts of this verse, I think there's four things we need to know about the golden rule to really uh, help give us a foundation. All right, the first thing is this. It's a summary. All right, this is a summary. As I've mentioned before, the golden rule isn't plucked out of thin air and dropped in the Sermon on the Mount as a, like a perfectly worded tweet, right? Uh, it's actually pulling in hundreds of years of teaching, of, of prophecy, of commands, and summarizing them in a single sentence. Right? It's the culmination of a powerhouse sermon about the life we live in the kingdom of God. All right, the second thing we see, it has a positive application. Right? Most religions speak about the golden rule in a different kind of way. Right? It has a negative application. It sounds something like this. What you hate, do not do to anyone. Or they'll say things like this. Do not treat others in ways that you would not like to be treated. Right? It's less about finding ways to treat others well and more about avoiding treating, treating people poorly. Right, the negative application was actually very popular in Jewish teaching. So the people listening to Jesus would have heard that rule and go, yeah, wait, that sounds familiar. But Jesus flips it around. Right, he says, no, no, no. I'm going to turn this into a positive application. Right, saying whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. And many scholars agree that Jesus was, one, was the first person to treat the golden rule like this. To say it in this positive application manner. All right, this is important for the third thing we need to know, which is it's, it's proactive. All right, the golden rule is proactive. Jesus turns this into a, a rule that is, has a positive application, and when he does this, he brings a degree of proactivity to it. All right, instead of simply avoiding negative actions, like I'm going to sit in my basement, and I hate lots of things, and I'm just going to sit away from everybody, and if I don't even talk to anybody and, and don't bug them, then they'll be fine. I, I, they won't feel bad about things, so I'll just hide myself. Right, Jesus is saying, no, no, no. I want you to do something. Get out there and actually interact with people here. Right, we don't sit back and wait, but instead it calls us to look for opportunities to act. And it leads us to the fourth thing we need to know, and maybe the most important thing, is that the golden rule is primarily about Jesus. All right, it's easy to read a verse like this and totally cut Jesus out of the equation. Right? Just try hard to love, right? Imagine in preschool, right? Telling the little kids, like, you just gotta go and love harder, little Billy. Let's go for it, you got it. Right, it's easy to cut Jesus out of this and think it's 
just a closed loop around me. It's all about me and what I, what I can do. Yeah, Jesus is talking to believers here. He's talking to people who would, who would take up this call. But when you step back and look at the whole of what Jesus is saying and what he's calling us to, we'll start to see it's actually less and less about me and more about Jesus. Now, to see how this works out, let's break down this verse piece by piece. So let's, let's read this again. So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, if you want to break this down right, we have to stop at the most, one of the most important words in this verse. And that, verse, that word is, so. So. Right? So is the key that actually unlocks the, the foundation and meaning of this verse, right? So is that one of those connecting words that causes us to look backwards and say, okay, so what? What are we connecting to? We can say, maybe use the word therefore, right? Therefore what? All right, and it's, it's tempting to simply look back to the, the last verse, right, previous to that, right, the, the previous passage, right, and say, well, it's probably talking about that. But I think we need to look even further backwards, all right, if you really want to see where this is connecting to, we have to look back at Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 18. Right? There's a lot of opinions about this, but consensus seems to say that what Jesus is saying, that so, that connecting word, is bringing us back there. So when you look at that, the structure of the sermon from afar, you can kind of see how this works out. Right? So in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, it says this. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Or not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, uh, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now when you hear that verse, uh, those passages, or that passage, something, several things pop up. All right, the first thing is you can start to see some parallel word usage and ideas here with the phrase, the law and the prophets. Okay? Uh, Jesus is using the law and the prophets here to refer back to the Old Testament. He's talking about the Ten Commandments and all the, all the prophecy you've seen throughout the Old Testament, okay? So when he's talking about this, he's saying, I'm not getting rid of those things, but I'm actually completing them. I'm fulfilling them, okay? And he includes all this by saying, so, as a result of that, therefore, this is what I'm talking about. This is the law and the prophets, the golden rule. Now, the second thing we see is that it's also kind of like a, a too long, didn't read summary of everything Jesus said up to that point. It's, come with me for a second. Let's look at this whole section as like a delicious sandwich. All right? And Jesus, in, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, he says, hey, here's the first piece of bread, right? He's coming to fulfill the law. And then he says at the end, I'm, 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 so this is the law and the prophets, right? All right? So we have our two pieces of bread. In the middle is the meat. This is the detail of what this actually looks like lived out, okay? So essentially, if Jesus is saying, well, if you've zoned out during my sermon, <laughs> here's, what you can, here's what I mean. This is all you need to know in this one single verse. And what Jesus seems to be saying is that the fulfillment of the law and the prophets that he has come to oversee is found in believers treating other people as believers themselves want to be treated. And that, that part is missing from the preschool lesson. That's missing from the humanist chaplain's quote. Right? This is a big deal. But to really grasp how important this is, we need to understand what Jesus means by fulfilling the law and the prophets. 
All right, later in Matthew, Jesus is, is with the Pharisees and he's being challenged by them to accurately identify the most important commandment in the law, right? They're trying to trick him, All right? So they say, well, you know what we're gonna do? Let's bring our lawyer in. All right, he'll just lawyer him. This will be great. We'll get some arguments here. This is gonna be perfect. And this is what he says in Matthew chapter 23, verses 35 through 40. And one of the Pharisees, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And he said to him, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus sums up the law and prophets in two ways, right? First is love the Lord your God with all your, your mind, your heart, and soul. And this being the first and greatest thing we have to do, right? And then he says, love your neighbors as yourself. Does this sound familiar? So if we bring in all that we have so, so far together, bring it all and, and lay it out here, we have Jesus first saying that he's not coming to get rid of the law, but actually complete it, to fulfill it. And second thing he says, that when he's talking about the law and the prophets, what he's actually meaning is love God first and then love your neighbor as yourself, right? Love people. And third, he says, the fulfillment of the law is found in the positive application to do to others as we want them to do to us. And it has to include both elements, right? That we would be loving God as we are loving people. Are you tracking with me? What I want to suggest to you this morning is that when Jesus says that the golden rule is not only the summary, but the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, he's saying that how we treat people needs to be driven primarily by our love for God. So look at the actual commandment to see how this actually works out. Jesus says, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. When you pause in this verse and start to unpack it, two Key questions tend to rise to the top. The first is, what do I wish others would do to me? Right? What do I wish others would do to me? How do I want people to treat me, right? The second thing we would ask is, why doesn't Jesus just say, go love people? Why does he say it like this? And answering the first question, maybe our gut response is to say things like, maybe something funny, like, well, I wish that people would treat me to a steak dinner. <laughs> or like lots of money. Just give me lots of money. That'd be really nice and fun. Or maybe we'd stay at the surface. We'd say, I just wish people would be really nice. You know, I, man, just you know, be thoughtful, please. Or maybe world peace. That sounds nice. Right? All those kind of things. But it's when you draw on the second question, why does Jesus say it like this? That you start to maybe peel back the layers a little bit. See, Jesus isn't, interested in simply giving us directions that we can mindlessly follow. Rather, Jesus is forcing us to actually look deeper within ourselves first in order to ask the real question at hand. Do I have value? Do I have worth? And will people treat me as such? Jesus wants you to consider 
why should anyone want to love you? Right? Why should anyone care about you? Why in the world would anyone want to love me? Right? We're positive and uplifting this morning, right? Jesus is judo chopping the whole transaction, right? He's not saying, just go out there and love hard and figure it out, people. What he's saying first is consider not only if you have value, but also consider the source of your value, right? Because how you ascribe value to yourself directly impacts how you ascribe value to other people. And there's two ways we determine our value, right? Either we allow the world to determine our value or we allow God to determine our value. And if the world is determining your value and worth, you are always chasing. You'll never arrive at a satisfactory level of value because the level is always changing, right? As soon as you think you figured out the game, they change the rules or they change the entire game, right? It creates a desperation in your soul that you can never fully resolve in this fashion. That as you chase value, you will never feel fulfilled. And if you only have a certain amount of worth and value, you better do whatever it takes to protect it. Now this is where sin rears its ugly head, right? If you can't find value in God-honoring ways, then forget it. I'm going to find it for myself in whatever way possible. See, this is what Jesus is addressing in the meat of our delicious Sermon on the Mount sandwich, right? <laughs> He's saying, if you're chasing worth and value, then you're prone to be angry with someone that has more than you. You're prone to weigh and measure someone's value by their looks and how they make you feel, right? You're prone to hate enemies and, and those who threaten your value. You're prone to amass earthly wealth in some weird Cold War arms race with your neighbors and your friends. You're prone to be constantly anxious that you will falter and be exposed in the race for worth. See, when the world has weighed and measured you and determined that you are lacking, you will turn around and in sin, treat those around you the same way. So in this setup where the world is determining your value, you're asking yourself, what do I wish others would do to me? Well, I, I want them to help me earn my value and worth. So you say things like, so what can you offer me? What you got for me? What can I take from you? how dumb can I make you feel right now so that I can feel smart? What's the one thing I can tear down in you that really boosts me up? If you spend any time paying attention the last 12 months, this feels very familiar. In an effort to protect value and worth and being right and feeling justified, our world has waged war on one another. Remember those sweet 90s movies? This is kind of a weird left turn. Remember those sweet 90s movies like Independence Day and Armageddon? For those who are uh, unaware, but basically you have um, uh, like imminent global doom 
um, by way of aliens or a meteor, right? And what happened there is that everyone is under this global threat, and what you saw in the movie was everyone band together. And so we got this, everybody, the world, Earth. This is probably where humanism came from, right? Everyone said, we can do this together. And then like Aerosmith started playing. It was just, everything was really nice. And spoiler alert, they saved the world and everyone feels good. But the most unbelievable thing about these movies wasn't that there was giant alien spaceships or an enormous meteor coming towards the earth that had perfect gravity on it. The most unbelievable thing was that everyone in the world would set aside their pursuit of their own worth and value in the name of other people. Because right? we've seen that it's not true. Today, everyone has an opinion, and everyone knows exactly who's right, and I'm going to fight for that opinion regardless of what happens, regardless of how you feel. Ultimately, it's exposing our deep insecurities with ourselves. And as we do that, it drives a wedge even deeper within us. The pursuit of self-worth and trying to let the world determine your value is exhausting. It's exhausting. Not only to you, but to those around you. Because of what, what it causes us to do. And maybe you're tired this morning. But if God is determining your value, if God is the one writing that book for you, the case is already closed. Right, the race has already been won. Listen to how the psalmist in Psalm 139 describes our God-determined worth. This is Psalm 139, verses 13 through 18. For you formed my inward parts. God, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you, God, when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. When as yet, there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. God values you so much that he knits you together piece by piece. That he created you. He knows you and has known you from the outset and before the outset of time and space. When the God of the universe relates to you in this way, you must be worth it. If God's going to waste his time on you, you must have inherent value and worth. You hear me? Many of you aren't convinced of God's love for you and the worth he has in you. Listen to this. He gives us Jesus, Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us, for you, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even in all of your messed up thoughts and all of your messed up sin, God still loves you and counts you worthy through Jesus. 
See, when God determines your value and worth, you aren't left wondering if you got enough. Right? Rather, because of the never-ending love of God, our value and worth is forever secure. And it's not something you earn. It's something you receive, right? You aren't going to go out there and try harder and guys, I'm like, oh, you got a, you got a one up here. You got a, this is great. I'll give you, you've, you've raised an extra level. No, no, you receive this from God. And when we remember our sin, yet continually receive this love from God, we grow in love for God. And when our love for God grows, we're finally free to love people well. So bring it all together, all right, and answering our first question, what do I want others to do to me? I want them to love me as if they love God first. And so we then too ought to love others out of our love for God first. See, when you do this, you're actually subverting the pattern of the world that says you're only going to deserve love if you offer me value or worth in return or help me achieve more worth, right? That's when you get love from me is when you can give me something back, right? Instead, when we love God first and it causes us to love people, we can, we're rehearsing the gospel over and over again, right? Loving people who, because of their sin, should have no value, but because they're an image bearer of God and because God has given them all the value and worth they need, they have infinite value, right? We can shower people with grace where grace isn't warranted. We can love someone in this reality because it's our reality, this is us, right? We are the ones who should have no value because of our sin. We are the ones who are infinitely loved, even though through the blood of Jesus. We are those people, and yet we are still loved. And as we remember our own grace-soaked redemption out of thankfulness and obedience, we love as we've been loved. See, this is the sum of discipleship that we become people so overwhelmed by the love of God for us that it pours out on others around us. You could say like this, the person whom you want others to be for you is the person whom Jesus is asking you to become. See, when we take this approach, it aligns perfectly with what Jesus has been saying and teaching, right? He says, well, instead of anger, you can actually forgive people because you're not chasing, right? Instead of lust, we can see someone as an image bearer. Instead of hoarding our wealth, we can just freely and joyfully give it away. Instead of being anxious, we can trust in our good father that he will take care of us. This love is the law and the prophets. Paul this is like this in Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, Paul says, love is the fulfilling of the law. If we miss this, we miss the whole story. We miss the whole thing. Here's the problem. We do miss this. And we miss it all the time. As I mentioned previously, this past year has been filled with contention. Right? We've battled with racism, with warring political ideologies and factions, competing health standards, disdain for our friends who think differently from us. And I'm just talking about within the church. At some point, nearly all of us opted to plant our flag into something other than Jesus and God's love, and me included. I could feel it as I'm sure you could, that frustration, the anxiety, the anger, it was thick in the air, it was dripping down the walls, right? It pulled us away from the love we desperately need, not only for each other, but for the world. See, the, the tragedy of the gospel is that before we even leave this room today, we're going to mess this up. <laughs> right? We're going to hear all this, and we are going to fail at upholding this golden rule. Right? Our sin's going to get in the way. We're going to walk out and we're going to I'm ready to do this. Let's go love people. We're right? all the best intentions in the world, and we will walk out that door and you will fail. The tragedy of the gospel is that our sin gets in the way, but the triumph of the gospel is that Jesus has fulfilled this on our behalf already. As I said in the outset, the golden rule is primarily about Jesus, right? Yes, the person whom you want others to be for you is who Jesus is asking you to become, but Jesus has already been that person for you on your behalf. Jesus himself is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets in every way we cannot. Jesus not only provides the model of perfect love for God the Father and all people, he also provides the means by which we can embrace both. In 1 John 3.16 it says this, By this we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us, for you. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. See, the pinnacle of love is Jesus' sacrifice. And the fulfillment of the law is us responding to this gift with true belief that shows itself by true love. If you want to align yourself perfectly to the golden rule, thus fulfilling all the law and the prophets, it starts and ends with fully embracing the gift of grace that Jesus is offering you. If you don't understand that God has loved you so much that even fully mired in your sin, Jesus died for you, you will never be able to fully love other people. It won't make sense to you. You have to get that. That has to like seep into your soul and be the first thing you wake up and hear and the last thing you think about before you go to bed that I don't deserve this. And yet still, Jesus is offering it to me. This is the only way you get this. All right, so how we treat people then is a direct reflection on our understanding and reception of the gospel in Jesus. 
Now, a lot of us are carrying some pretty heavy burdens. A lot of us are stumbling into this place today. And to hear something like this and say, well, I, yeah, I love people. And you know, the thought of trying to love people more feels impossible. Right? You, almost, you almost feel numb. How in the world can I do that? Right? The stress of this past year has caught up to nearly everybody. And many of us simply are tired and want to quit trying. It's like we walk around carrying two worlds, right? On one side, the external world is, is, is the, the image we show everybody, right? I'm successful. I'm happy. I got my Starbucks. I'm just, I just feel good, you know? Did my workout this morning, got up early, did some quiet time. You know, I'm just, you know, we say like hashtag blessed, is that right? Yeah. That's, that's the external world everyone sees. The internal world, though, is the one we also carry. It's the one we desperately don't want to show anybody. Right? It's, it's, the, it's the pain. It's that stress. It's that doubt. It's the, the fatigue. It's the uncertainty. Right? It's all these things that if anyone saw this, I would be so embarrassed that you would know this about me. All right, it's the thing that we try to hide with our, our nice external hashtag blessed mask, right? It's the thing we don't want anyone to know about us because if they did, they would have zero confidence in us. That I would feel no value. We walk around carrying these things, and if that's you today, I want you to hear this. Our world, this church, your MC, your spouse, your kids, your friends, your coworkers, they don't need you to try harder at love. They don't need it. They don't need you to try harder at love. What they need you to do is to remember your sin more and to remember Jesus' gift of grace even more than that. They need you to remember that I have no worth in this world, yet because of God, I have infinite worth. That I deserve none of what Jesus did for me, but he gave me everything, even his life. He needs you to remember those things. It's time to let your guard down. If you get a cold heart, it's cold from outside, it's cold from other things. It's time to thaw that out. Not because you have worked harder. Not because you have unlocked a, a, a cool thing. Like I figured out the, the secret to feeling happy all the time. No, 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 no. We thaw out those things when we remember that we have been loved in ways that we don't deserve. It's time to let your guard down, take that deep breath, and drop out of the race the world has you running. It's to gleefully say, I'm done with that. I lost, I'm okay. Right? And to simply embrace Jesus for who he is, who he says he is. 
to sink deeply into the grace and truth he is offering you. As we do, as we let this remembrance sink into us of who we are and who God is, it disarms our selfishness. It disarms our, our guardedness and the need to prove yourself. Disarms all those things. And then from there, you can let the love of Jesus reflect off of you and pour out onto everyone around you. This is why we take communion every week. Communion shapes us. It causes us to remember, right? That as we take the bread, as we take the cup, as symbols of Jesus' broken body and blood poured out for you, we can remember that, oh yeah, this is how Jesus treated me. This is how I want to be treated. And therefore, I will treat others the same. Remember what he gave out of love for you. So as we come to the table today, let it drive you back out into the world, not as someone ready to try harder, but to remember more deeply. And let that send you out as fully loved sons and daughters of God, ready and able to fulfill the law with love. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for just the, the, the perfect means of grace we have in Jesus, Lord. It, it, that call to, to do to others as we want them to do to us feels heavy, but when we think about it in terms of what you have done for us, it feels light. So Lord, for those who are struggling today, those who are sh striving really hard to be something that they're not or to, to try to earn their own value, Lord, may they turn to you and you alone. Lord, right now I ask you just put a spotlight in our hearts. Point out, agitate us of those little things that we're hiding from you. Where we got the mask up so people can't see, Lord. Point those things out in us so we can surrender them to you once and for all. Lord, help us to drop out of that race and fall directly into you, Lord. Lord, help us to trust you with our worth and value and let that trust drive us to love and let that love drive us to be the light our world needs. Lord, we thank you and we love you and we ask this in holy and precious name. Amen.